Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined with me once again by my co-host, Rob Dunham. From the home office. Yeah, looking good up there in the home office. I like it. got the stained glass light over here. It's not even turned on. It's just pretty. Yeah. Yeah. We're ready. We've got we've got a good vibe. Okay, I like it. If you like the Film for Fans podcast, do us a favor and rate, subscribe, and share it with your friends. If you do, you too can have his office as nice as Rob. You'd be a lucky person. You would. If you don't, you won't have an office as nice as Rob. I feel like being a little nicer today. So <laughs> fair enough. All right, so we have a great show in store. We're going to talk about animated movies, skipping the theaters and going straight to digital. We'll do a quick hit on the Oscars because nobody wants to pay that close attention to the Oscars. And what movie technology do you wish was real? That should be a fun one. All right. Of course, we'll have our watch list too. Are you ready to get started, Rob? Oh, I'm ready. Okay, so first let's talk about animated movies skipping the theaters. First up on the list, Pixar's Luca goes straight to Disney Plus, and some of the Pixar people not so happy about it. So the report here is that uh, Disney has decided that Pixar's Luca, which is its latest animated film will not actually hit theaters. Um, it is going straight to Disney Plus. It is not going under the premium tier. It is just going to be, you get to watch it when it comes out. Um, this did not make some of the Pixar people happy. They basically said, we built this movie, we made this movie to be in theaters and they were not happy. Uh, this obviously came from Disney, who owns Pixar, and so it sounds a little bit to me like there, there's a little bit of a rift between the Pixar people and the Disney people, a little bit between the film creative side and the corporate side. And this is also at a time when we're starting to see some movies actually make some money, but Disney has been progressively delaying their films and is still is still doing so they've been one of the slowest studios to come out with movies uh so rob what did you make of what did you make of this decision from disney and the pixar people's reaction yeah i can definitely understand their frustration because you want to have your work be seen by as many people as possible and they invest a lot of energy and uh brain power into these movies. They're well known for having technical achievements and benchmarks with each movie that comes out. And uh, in the article, the one uh, guy who works for Pixar said, we don't want people to be watching these movies while they've got a phone in their hands. <laughs> we want them to be focused on it, seeing what's happening and uh, really care about what's going on. And they feel like that might not be the case if these movies are going straight to digital and people are uh, interacting with them for the first and maybe only time in their own homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another comment uh, from one of the Pixar staffers said, 
We don't want to just be another title on Disney+. Plus. So that's interesting, too, because we know that Pixar holds such an incredibly high standard for what they do. And to feel like they're just getting relegated to just another title, kind of like the latest Netflix release that just shows up on there without much fanfare and you're done with it. Um, so it's interesting to me. And I think, I think Pixar has, I, I think this could be a, become a bigger deal. And we know that uh, Disney prior to their purchase of Pixar had gone through a series of terrible movies and Pixar has always had the pulse on what the movie audience wants to see. So if I were Disney, I'd be doing a little bit more to listen to the Pixar people and a little bit less uh, listening to their corporate overlords. But hey, what do I know? <laughs> uh, they also made a good point that you don't know... Uh, you don't know how much this will impact the future of the company because these are movies that have had long theatrical releases where they made like literally a billion dollars mm-hmm. for each big movie. So if they're not getting that and they're not even charging uh, the like Disney premium price like they did for Mulan or Ryan and the Last Dragon, what does that mean for Pixar as a company? Yeah, and they're, they're concerned that Disney will then turn around and hold Pixar responsible for the lack of lack of success which i mean it's certainly possible that they would do something like that i think i think it's a little telling too that that disney has been the slowest to subject their movies to to the theater audiences um it seems to be a little bit in reverse of the trend that we're seeing now that we're seeing movies actually make some money so i wonder what disney's up to but Disney is not, in fact, alone in sending animated movies straight to streaming. The new Lin-Manuel Miranda film Vivo, which is an animated movie, will also be headed to streaming in lieu of going to the theaters. And in this case, it's headed to Netflix. So this is a Sony picture production movie. And the decision has been made that it will not have a theatrical release. Instead, we'll go straight to Netflix. Uh, this seems in keeping with the Disney decision, but I still, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda is still riding pretty high off of his success for Hamilton. I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little surprised that they chose, especially right now, to go and just drop this straight on Netflix. Because Netflix has such a wide library, I can't imagine a bunch of people signing up for Netflix just so they can watch this. This one seems like a bit of a head scratcher to me. Yeah, they uh, did say in the article that Sony has signed a deal with Netflix to give them kind of first crack at their releases when they go to digital, but that this is not part of that. That'll be coming in another year. Um, Yeah, and I agree with you. I think it is a little bit surprising. that it would go straight to Netflix and not be in the theater. Uh, Obviously, you mentioned Hamilton, but um, maybe even the bigger, more relevant success for Lin-Manuel Miranda would be uh, Moana, Mm. which he wrote the music for, and uh, obviously was very successful. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're looking at an animated movie that he's been a part of, it's not like he hasn't had success. Mm -hmm. So I feel like his name would draw some people in to check out the movie. Um, Sony, obviously, they're just, they're not the same 
caliber or level as like a DreamWorks or a Pixar or Disney when it comes to animated features. So maybe they just thought that it wasn't enough of a draw to get people to come out to the theater and it would be better served to just come out digitally. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if because these are both slated to be kids movies, if that makes any difference, I wonder if their estimation is that people won't bring kids to movies yet. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if that plays a factor in. Um, I mean, of course, if we're talking virus, kids seem to be on the, you know, the lower end of risk level, but maybe they're thinking that parents won't want to drag kids to theaters. I'm not sure if that plays a role. I mean, it didn't, neither of the articles mentioned that as a reason. I'm just speculating as to why we're seeing a couple of animated movies drop from the theaters. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad uh, suggestion at yeah. all. I think that it could definitely play a part in the reasoning. Mm -hmm. Well, the, one of the reasons why this is so strange is we are starting to see the recovery of the theater industry. In fact, one of our second story for today is the fact that IMAX actually posted a game for the first quarter of 2021, which is interesting. Obviously, uh, with the theater struggling, they had a huge decrease in revenue last year, but the first quarter did pretty well. So uh, it says their net losses per share narrowed to 25 cents in the first quarter as opposed to 82 cents last year, which is better than the analyst forecasts. And total revenue rose 11% to 38.8 million, which was pretty close to being in line for what the, the industry experts predicted. Um, so this is, this is good news for the theater industry. Um, it shows that at least the bottom has probably, we probably are well past the bottom of this in terms of where the theaters are at. And we're starting to see some movies actually make some money for IMAX and for the theaters. And hopefully this will be a good sign. Of course, they've been benefiting in recent weeks from Godzilla versus Kong and Mortal Kombat, uh, but also Demon Slayer had a surprisingly good performance over the weekend. For, uh, for theaters. And we think it's probably going to keep going up from here. So I'm encouraged by the fact that the fact that IMAX did relatively well, all things considered. Yeah, obviously, you were nowhere near the numbers that you would see in a normal world. Mm -hmm. um, I know the IMAX movie I went to, there were like six people total in the theater. So I guess when you multiply that six people times several thousand shows, uh, you're going to see a, an increase over zero people yeah. <laughs> at those shows. So um, I do think that more people are starting to become comfortable coming out. And I did say like over a year ago when we talked, or, well, I guess not quite a year ago, but a long time ago when we talked about this, when things were just starting with all this, um, I, had, I had predicted that I didn't think people were going to like rush out to the movie theater when, things started to calm down is going to take time. And I think we're seeing that uh, bearing out. I think people are at their own pace. They're starting to come out to the movie theater. It's not going to be just a huge mass of people all coming out at once. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had a friend of the podcast uh, tell me today that he was at least contemplating going to a theater for the first time this weekend. Mm. So um, that, you know, 
more people are starting to at least consider it a viable option. So good for IMAX and good for the movie industry. All right, so now it's time. We have to get to it. Um, I would, part of me would love to just ignore the fact that the Oscars took place and just you know move on and forget that it existed, but this is a movie podcast. I guess it is worth mentioning the biggest award ceremony for movies of this, uh, this particular industry. So we're gonna do a quick hit on the Oscars. So we're gonna highlight, we're gonna pick out, each of us is gonna kind of select something that we wanna talk about and, and go from there. So Rob, what, what do you got? Well, it should be noted that one of the hosts of this podcast really does like the Oscars and, and that's me. Uh, I will say this year, it, 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 it did lose a little bit of shine this year only because I didn't have the capability to see as many of the movies. Um, beforehand as I would have liked. Usually I'm able to see almost all of the nominees for Best Picture and before the ceremony, so I have a better feel for things. So I didn't have that going into this year, so I only had limited uh, ideas of what I thought should do well and not do well. And um, So I, I just have two agrees and two disagrees. Uh, my agrees are for sound editing, The Sound of Metal, one, and I agree with that 100% if you have not seen Sound of Metal. Uh, you should, and you will not be surprised that it won the Oscar for sound editing because the director and people involved in the movie were actually able to put you into the position of someone who is losing their hearing. And the way they did it is really phenomenal and makes you feel like you're a part of the journey. And it's terrifying and scary, but really cool. Um, another one I agreed with was uh, Best Original Screenplay went to Promising Young Woman. Uh, that movie is tough to watch it's very disturbing um a lot of issues brought up about sexual trauma and how we move on from that and how we continue to live our lives and what happens to the people who are the friends of people who go through that um but the script was excellent really well done really tight um made a lot of sense and was compelling um one couple that i disagreed with uh and this might annoy some Pixar fans, but I did not agree with Soul winning the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Mm -hmm. uh, Onward was also nominated for Best Animated Feature, and I would not pick that either. I would have picked Wolf Walkers, uh, which is a cartoon saloon movie uh, company out of Ireland. Uh, they also did Song of the Sea, which is another great movie. Just the animation style is so unique and impressive, and I thought it was just a lot better than Soul, personally. And then the other one that I just didn't quite agree with was Best Supporting Actor, uh, which went to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. And the reason why I, I disagree with this, not because of his performance, which I thought was really, really good, um, but he and Lakeith Stanfield were both nominated for Best Supporting Actress from the same, or actor, sorry, from the same movie. And to me, <laughs> one of them has to be nominated for Best Actor, not Best Supporting Actor. And Kaluuya, to me, was the one who should have been nominated for Best Actor. He played Fred Thompson in the movie. He's the main focus of the movie. Um, and what's really funny about this, what brought it to my mind, is we were watching a Doctor Who special from 2009, and he was in it. And I didn't know this because I had not actually seen this one before. And I'm watching this special episode of Doctor Who, and I saw him on the bus, and I'm like, that's Daniel Kaluuya. IMDb. <laughs> That's Daniel Kaluuya. I was right. And it was like the fifth thing he was ever in, which is amazing. And 
this guy in this episode just won an Academy Award <laughs> for Best Supporting Actor. But to me, and this has happened before, I think sometimes they cheat when it comes to the supporting actor and actress categories because really he should have been nominated for Best, Best Actor, period. And I felt like Sasha Baron Cohen or uh, Leslie Odom Jr. were probably more deserving of the Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Even Paul Racy in Sound of Metal uh, was up there as well. But I'm, I'm someone who really nerds out, out about the Oscars. I could probably talk about every category and give my opinion. So for me, that's the short version. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll take your short version because you wanted to delve into it far more than I did. So <laughs> good for you. And I guess good for our audience. <laughs> so my comment is, is about this. The Oscar for best score went to Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste for Soul. And the reason I want to comment on this is because I think I think what we're seeing, and I've noted, I've noted several times in the podcast how good Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are at, at movie scores. Of course, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails fame, uh, he is fantastic at movie scores. He is really, really good. And he's been nominated before. He is, I mean, these two guys, Ross and Reznor, I think they're approaching the place where they are some of the top industry's top. Um, they have a chance to go down in a very, very different way as right up there with, with John Williams and Hans Zimmer and those guys. Now they do it very differently but the depth that they can create, the emotion that they create and how they tend to capture the mood and set the mood as it were in such a realistic way. I, I just think that these guys are, are at the top of their game. They were actually nominated two different times in the same category this year. They're also nominated for the movie Mank mm -hmm. for uh, best score as well. Yeah. Yeah. They are so good. They're really, really good. And it, it surprised me. I mean, I think the first, I first took notice of them in um, when they did the score for the social network and it might've been the first time they, they I'm pretty sure that was their first, that was their first one. That was 2010. Uh, and since then, everything that they've done has been fantastic. And, and so I am a big fan of them when it comes to the movie scores. Okay. Are we ready to move on to our discussion? Oh, I'm ready to discuss things. Yes. <laughs> so the, the first discussion co topic comes from, um, maybe you have seen this clip making the rounds of the guy and his hoverboard. Now, we have to be a slight, you know, a slight caveat in the fact that it does not, in fact, look like the Marty McFly hoverboard. Lame. That we were all promised in the 80s. However... It does look like a big drone, and that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a quadcopter drone that you can stand on. You have a little hand controller, and you can see the guy in the video clips, and we'll post the link to this, the guy flying around at low levels through streets and around fields and stuff, and it functions exactly like you would expect a hoverboard to function. So it's really cool looking. It's really, really cool looking. Um, so, of course, we have to make Marty McFly references and Back to the Future references. However, 
this got me thinking, and this is the main main discussion question for for the evening. Everyone has always wanted a hoverboard. So now that hoverboards are real, what other technology piece of, of sci-fi piece of tech from movies do you really, really want to just be to be real and to exist in this moment? Uh, well, I'm going to be very disappointing if this is the main discussion question because my answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there is another discussion question, audience. Uh, because, and I, I say this because <laughs> as I was thinking about like all the cool pieces of technology that I really like to own, like from a movie, they're pretty much all destructive and would end the world. So I'm not positive I want them to exist in real life, <laughs> as cool as they would be. Uh, I think the one thing that I did think of that I would like to have in reality is interaction with cartoon characters in real life. Okay. A la uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would like to be able to hang out with Bugs Bunny. You know, he'd probably be too cool for me, uh, <laughs> like Space Jam. Um, and not like the movie Cool World, which if you don't know anything about, I'm going to talk about that a little later, actually, with the other discussion question. Uh, but I, I would like to interact with cartoon characters and, you know, mess around with the laws of physics and hopefully in a way that would not destroy the fabric of the world like owning a lightsaber might. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. That's an interesting one. I would not have thought about going that direction of interacting with cartoon characters. I like it. So is Bugs Bunny the one you want to interact with, or did you have other cartoon characters on high on your uh, Marvin Martian, you know, is is my is the OG. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Marvin was my guy too. And I just I want to hang out with him and see what's up. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, so for me, there's a there's a couple that immediately stand out for me. One, of course, being a Star Trek fan is I need a transporter. <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? Like a transporter. I step in the box. I am here. I step out. I'm somewhere else. That's fantastic. And I know from reading Rainbow, that's actually just like uh, water and like salt and, and glitter dropped into the water and stirred around because that's what Lovar Burton told me on reading Rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> when I was like eight. Of course, I don't want to think about the whole principle of are you actually the same person who comes out on the other end of the transporter or not? You know, the whole, uh, are you actually a different person? The whole that metaphysical question. Uh, however, I would love the transporter because that, that'd be a cheap, easy way to travel and I would love it. So, so many times in those episodes and movies where they send someone out and like lose pieces of them or have to put them back together or can't find them that, I would feel very uncomfortable stepping into one. Yeah, what's funny is they constantly talk in the show about how safe they are, and then there's constantly episodes about how not safe they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly safe, except for the one time that guy disintegrated. We don't know where he went. No, so other than that... It's good to see that the scientists are basically the same as they are now. Yeah. <laughs> it's one thing and the other thing is exactly the opposite. So, yeah, it's glad to see that some things don't change. <laughs> Uh, I think the second one I think is force fields. This is this is in a lot of different movies, Star Trek included, but force fields would be pretty cool. I think that would uh, that would be a lot of fun because you could do you could do a lot of stuff with force fields, both for physical barriers and um, like underwater travel or any all sorts of stuff. There's there's lots to do with force fields, so I, I would like some force fields. Uh, 
May the force be with you. Wait, that's something else. That's something else entirely. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you have an idea of what technologies you wish you were real, uh, send us a comment. We'd love to hear which ones you think are real. And I think that, you know, what we were asking people for comments all the time. I think we should reward these people. Like if you send a, a comment telling us what you think, uh, I think we might start um, mentioning some of them on the next episode. I like just that. to, you know, acknowledge that there are people who actually listen and watch this podcast because they deserve to have their voices heard. Power to the people. Power to the people. Sorry, yeah. I was inspired by Judas and the Black Messiah, and now I'm all like... Oh, gosh. Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to our second discussion question. Uh, movies you regret seeing. Now, I have to preface this. This was a discussion topic that you came up with a few days ago. But I have to preface this with an article that I read recently about a theater that ran, has been running the Rocky Horror Picture Show for 54 straight weeks, many of which were in an empty theater because the theaters were not allowed to open. So literally one of the guys went into the theater, turned on the Rocky Horror Picture Show every week during the same time so that he could keep the streak going of this theater running this movie for like 20 straight years. I think it was like 40 years. Is it, That's right. Yeah, it was 40 like 43 years. 20 years, years once that guy got involved in it. Yeah. 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 So uh, I don't understand the obsession with this movie. I don't understand it. Oh, Uh, let's just do the time warp again. I mean, yeah. Oh, man. But that that leads us to this question. What movies do you regret seeing? What movies are you do you wish you could just pull out and erase from your brain (laughs) and pretend that you do not have knowledge of them. Which movies? Uh, so Give me one, and we'll go back and forth on this one. I think people were uh, longtime listeners to the podcast might be afraid that I'm about to talk about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull <laughs> for the next ten minutes. But this uh, this segment is about movies that actually exist, so <laughs> there's no need to worry about that. Um, the movie that I would s- say first of all is the movie Hostel. Mm. And I will say I watched this movie with one of my friends. Um, his name is Andrew. He now lives in Japan. Andrew, if you're watching this, you know who you are. If not, I'm going to send you a link to this podcast so you can watch it and remember our good times. Playing Call of Duty uh, on the Xbox and then watching the movie Hostel because we were college boys who, you know, had to watch creepy, scary things for no apparent reason. And I've watched a decent amount of horror movies. I'm not a horror movie fan there are some that i like uh it comes at night being one of them uh some other ones the original saw i even liked mm-hmm. um but there this movie is the i will say this is the only movie i've ever watched that has made me physically ill mm-hmm. and the reason is it's just messed up <laughs> <laughs> if you've never watched hostile the first half an hour is essentially um just x-rated content and then the next hour and a half is X-rated because of violence, essentially, because the movie is about uh, people kidnapping tourists in uh, Amsterdam and taking them to like a secret warehouse and torturing them. And the ways that they torture them are graphic and severe and numerous. 
And there are some images from that movie that I will not, never get out of my head and I wish I had not seen. So if you have not watched the movie Hostel, do not watch the movie Hostel. This is your only warning. <laughs> How about you? Because I think the one thing I thought was interesting about this question is there are a lot of different reasons why um, you may or may not, you may want to have not watched a movie. Yeah. Really fast. I don't think they're all related to I felt sick after watching that movie. <laughs> so one, I will go, I will go with one of these different ones where I wish I had not seen this movie. And every once in a while, when you're a kid, you will have seen a movie that you're just not ready for. <laughs> for whatever reason. And so I was a kid and I, I ended up, I think it was a friend's house or something. I ended up seeing this movie, The Hunted, which um, I'm pretty sure it was the hunted uh but it's basically about a, a dude who is like samurai movie and at one point they just like some the guy gets captured and the samurai like chops his own face off and when you're a young kid you just see like a dude chop his own face off yeah it just messes it messes you up i'm so an old kid that's, up for that, like, that's messing me up right now yeah it was just, I was messed up for days after watching this movie <laughs> because I was not like I was not prepared for this as a kid. As a kid, I was totally not prepared to watch this movie, and and so for that reason, this is a movie that I wish I had not seen. Uh, another one, and I mentioned this earlier, and I was talking about the animated characters interacting with real life. Uh, there's a movie called Cool World, which a lot of you have probably never heard of. There's a reason for that because it's, it's awful. Um, but it stars Brad Pitt and this is like 94 I want to say late it's either late 80s early 90s Brad Pitt and oh my gosh I think the girl's voiced by Kim Basinger maybe maybe wrong on that um, but there's an animated girl character in this now if you've seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit you're probably well aware of Jessica Rabbit and you know the attractiveness there if you're into that kind of thing um, but this takes that like hinting at that kind of thing and just it's uncomfortable <laughs> like it's it's blatant there's there's no subtlety at all there's basically just like oh I'm a hot cartoon character that you want <laughs> and Brad Pitt is totally like yeah I totally want you and I'm like Brad Pitt come on you're better than that but apparently back then he was not yet better than that and it's depressing um, don't I mean this is one that I, I will say if you haven't seen you maybe want to see just because of how terrible it is mm. and the interesting uh, the second one for me was I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago I forget which one we were doing but uh, running with scissors I hated that movie I hated it it's it's a bio it's kind of a biopic of of a kid who had a really like horrible childhood and there's nothing like just hey here's a horrible childhood in a movie to just make you hate your own existence mm. like, like you just i i just i remember thinking like i can't wait till this movie is over so that i don't have to be in this world anymore <laughs> it was one of those where like it just wasn't entertaining it wasn't one of those where you like grip and like oh man this i i feel for this man what did he go through it's just like it was just like making you miserable for miserable sake 
And I feel like some sometimes indie films in general can tend towards just that kind of feeling, and it's not really helpful in any way. Yeah, because there's like no positive that way, negative. Yeah, and there's there's like there's there's a line between I'm making you feel this way so you can identify it, and we're just making a miserable movie. And it just, it was just a miserable movie. And I was like, I can't wait till I am done with this so that I can feel better about life. So I can just go back to being like, okay, this is, this is enough. So I, I just, oh, it was just like a oh, feeling in and out of it. And it was just, I still remember it. It was just, it's the worst I felt coming out of a movie ever. And it wasn't one of those reflective ones where, oh yes, I will go back and, and, and think about how this movie impacted me no it's just like no this was terrible i felt horrible about it and i don't want to see it again <laughs> the one positive to watching movies like this is that it reminds you how decent good movies actually are yes because <laughs> mm-hmm. every once in a while i'll get into a rut where i see nothing but good movies for like a couple months in a row and then <laughs> i'll see a bad one and i'll go oh yeah they're not all good i forgot <laughs> yes yes uh so what about you you get any more uh, I think that's pretty much it for me. I'm, there are many, many more I could talk about, but those are the two that came to my mind right away. All right. Sounds good. Well, we can we can wrap that one up. And uh, again, if you have any of your movies that you wish you had not seen, let us know. Okay. So let's move on to our watch list. These are movies that we've watched over the past week where we give you a brief thoughts on them and let you know what we think. So Rob, give us, uh, give us what you watched this past week. Mortal Kombat! Ah, yes. Mortal uh, Kombat. De- depressing news on the Mortal Kombat front is that I came home from recording the podcast last week, all excited to watch the movie. Got home at midnight, went on to HBO Max, no Mortal Kombat, looked it up online. The movie will release at 12 midnight, West Coast time. Come on, man. No. So uh, I had to wait until the next day to watch it. And it was an okay movie, but I have to say this about Mortal Kombat. And I, uh, I think this was something that dawned on me as a realization as I'm watching this movie. Because the movie's not terrible. But the movie isn't great either. And I just feel almost like it's not possible for a Mortal Kombat movie to be great. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is that it excelled so well as a video game. And there's so much tied up into the lore and the fighting of the video game that to try and translate that to a movie situation where you have stakes of like the world ending and make it believable and make it grounded in reality, make you actually care about the people is really difficult because you've got to kind of smash all these characters from the video game into this movie. You've got to find a way to make the characters fight each other because that's what happens in the game. Yeah. And if you've never played one of the games, at least the newer ones, there's always like a storyline. Like they'll have a cut scene of, oh, I'm this new recruit. Now I have to fight this captain to prove that I'm, like worthy of being in this unit, blah, blah, blah. And then you fight, you know, it's kind of hard to translate that to a movie format. So I would say is like two and a half out of five stars. If I'm being very basic with it, 
Uh, like I said, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It's just I have a hard time buying into it because of what it is. Yeah, and we talked about that because they've tried Mortal Kombat several times and it's never really been able to be pulled off. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think I was expecting much more than that. So I wasn't really surprised. Okay. And that's really uh, the other movies I watched were ones that I had watched already the last couple of weeks and kind of watching with new people or my kids. So mm. that was really the only new, new one that I watched during the week. Mm. I did start watching um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm. uh, the 2011 version with Daniel Craig, uh, with my wife, because we we're actually reading, I'm reading her, The Girl Who Played with Fire. Mm. And I said, remember watching the girl with the dragon tattoo? And she's like, I don't remember watching that. I was like, did I actually ever watch that? <laughs> and I, I'm not 100% sure I did. I read I read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I watched the movie because I'm watching the movie now and there's stuff that I'm like, I don't really remember seeing the visual there, but I know everything that's happening mm-hmm. because I, I'm not sure how the rest of the movie is going to play out, but like we only watched like the first half hour. But for the first half hour, it it is following the book like really closely. I've actually been pretty impressed um, how close it's following the book. Yeah, there are differences, uh, but it's they for the most part they do a pretty good job with it. And I'm I'm also interested in watching the original uh, Swedish version that came out in 2007 after I finished this one because mm-hmm. uh, I want to see like what they did differently. It's very interesting. They they essentially made a remake for English audiences four years after the original one came out just because of how popular the book was getting in the United States. Um, so Daniel Craig took over the main character's role and he's, he's quite good uh, with different personalities and accents apparently because he can be Swedish and he can also be a Kentucky fried lawyer. <laughs> and he can also be James Bond. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like that movie. I really, really like that version of it. Um, that's another one, Atticus uh, Ross and Trent Reznor, soundtrack on that one. Uh, David Fincher directing. I really wish they had made the other two with that crew. Um, it's a shame that they did not. Uh, and that's the one thing you get with the Swedish version is you get all three of the original books um, with the Swedish version. So that that is one advantage. And they're pretty good, too. So, yeah. All right. What did you watch? Uh, so I decided that I was going to watch something dumb. I, I just wanted something. I was tired one night and I'm like, you just give me something that's just, you know. Needed every once in a while. You just need to watch something stupid. I don't have to think about it. So it happened to just come up on Amazon Prime. And it was the perfect score from 2004. Mm-hmm. This is the movie about the high school students who decide that they have had it with the SAT, so they were going to break into the to ETS, the place that runs the SAT, and steal the test. So that is the plot of the movie. The most interesting thing about this is the cast, because this features uh, Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson back in their very early days, and they both play high school students who are part of this crew. Uh, another interesting fact, which is less relevant now, but was pretty interesting back then, was it also had Darius Miles, who at the time was an active NBA player. So, it, and he plays a basketball player who's having trouble passing the SAT, uh, potentially to get into college. So 
he he can play that role reasonably well considering it was not that dissimilar from uh, <laughs> what he went through <laughs> although he went straight to the nba he did not go to college so he is one of those guys who came straight out of high school into the nba so that was fascinating uh the interesting thing was seeing it was seeing it's the fashion was very stereotypical for the time period. I mean, Chris Evans with the spiked hair, mm. you know, Scarlett Johansson with the with the kind of uh, punk goth vibe, uh, bad girl. It was interesting. It was it was very interesting to see them play this role. Uh, the movie was not good. <laughs> <laughs> movie, I mean, the plot the plot was very obvious and very. Uh, all the characters were relatively stereotypical and there was nothing particularly interesting about it in general, but it was, it was fascinating to see actors who went on to do really big things uh, in particular, both are heavily involved in Marvel movies and, and to watch them interact with each other in a much earlier time in their career, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, this is not to be confused with the movie The Score. No. Uh, which had Edward Norton and <laughs> yeah. uh, et cetera in it and is a Montreal heist movie. Yeah. <laughs> very different. Yeah. The score is actually a very good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, watch the That's score. What I really like about the score as well, uh, is that I've been in old Montreal where a lot of it was filmed. Uh-huh. And to like I was literally able to be like, oh, I've walked right there. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> I always yeah. like that in a movie. Never been to Montreal. Yeah, Montreal's a pretty sweet place. That's right here. Yeah, so I watched The Perfect Score. So if you're in the mood for something dumb and want to watch some big-name actors when they were younger, go for it. Uh, the second movie I watched was not dumb. It was Thor Ragnarok, which, of course, I've seen a number of times, but it was on TV this past week, and I so I had it on. And it's just great. It is so good. It is probably one of the best Marvel movies and it all has to do with YTD and, and the work he did with that film. I mean, the humor in it is fantastic. The whole thing is funny. The whole thing is great. Korg, of course, voiced by YTD. Um, the acting by Chris Hemsworth was just amazing. Uh, the humor he brought to it. But I think I think the biggest thing, which looking back on it was a real missed opportunity for Marvel, was the interaction between Thor and and the Hulk and, and their back and forth play. And that Hulk character where he is where he is the Hulk, but he he's like the semi-sentient Hulk who can come in and is talking trash in his in his like big dumb brute way. That was fantastic. The big dumb brute, brute Hulk jokes were great. That that played off of uh, Thor really, really well. And then they never they never used it again. They didn't bring it back because by the time you encounter him in in um, the the final Avengers movies, like when it comes to Endgame, like he's the full Bruce Banner Hulk. And so you don't really ever get that. So they built this great dynamic and then they were never able to use it again. I think that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, so in my top five Marvel movies, without a doubt, one of the reasons why I'm so excited for Love and Thunder because Swatiti's doing that too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to more of the same kind of humor. And uh, shout out to Jeff for we, 
uh, my coworker, who we had a good discussion about about the the Hulk in this one. So nice. Um, yeah. So bring way to go, Jeff. <laughs> All right. So to end the show today, we are going to do a recommendation for you, and we decided to go from the category of previous Oscar winners. So we're going to give you a recommendation from a movie that has won an Oscar. It, could basically be an Oscar for anything in the past that we recommend you check out. So, Rob, what do you recommend to the people? I'm going to be very boring and basic and tell you about a Best Picture Oscar winner, which is 1985's Amadeus. If you have not seen this movie and you are a fan of music in any way, then you should see this movie tomorrow. Uh, it is fairly long. I think the director's cut is about three hours long. Uh, but it stars F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hulse. F. Murray Abraham as Salieri, who is uh, Mozart's major rival uh, in his era of composing. He's a more accomplished composer who is kind of blown away by Mozart's sudden rise to fame and favor in the court. And a lot of people who are really into classical music don't necessarily agree with some of the ways that Mozart is portrayed in this movie uh, but I think there is a hint of truth to a lot of what is presented and there's just an iconic there's an iconic scenes in this movie with Salieri struggling with his fascination with and frustration with Mozart and trying to deal with the fact that he's just not the same level of composer like he, he just was not ever given the natural ability to be the same as Mozart and he can never get over it and I find it gripping and devastating and as a fan of music it's really a must watch obviously the music is great because it's Mozart <laughs> but there's also pieces from Salieri in the movie there's pieces from other composers in the movie and just kind of shows you a little bit of what went into the efforts to make that music because now in a lot of ways some of that music is just viewed as a background soundtrack like we don't really focus on the fact that some of these things when they came out were groundbreaking and revelatory and kind of threw the expectations of everyone for a loop so you get that kind of feeling when you watch the movie yeah yeah i've seen it once in college and i I don't remember. I think I just wasn't in the mood for it at the time. So maybe I'll have to revisit that one. All right. So for me, uh, the movie I chose is Spotlight. So Spotlight was a Best Picture winner a few years ago. And it's basically the story about a Boston Globe investigative journalism team who uncovered the scandal of sexual abuse by priests. Mm -hmm. Uh, initially in the Boston area, and then that exploded into a uh, wider array of uncovering scandals. And so it's, it's basically a true investigative journalism piece. It talks about their, how they went about it, their investigations, uh, what they uncovered, uh, how they were running into resistance, and what it took for them to break the story. And so it stars Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams and Michael Keaton and Leah Schreiber. 
Uh, I, I've always enjoyed great investigative journalism movies uh, where you're investigating something, you're trying to uncover all the details and you're watching it unfold. Uh, so it really is a great example of that. It is based on a true story. Obviously, there's some fictionalized elements around it, uh, but the Boston Globe did do this investigation and did uncover some of these scandals. And so it really does uncover um, and deal with that that difficult topic um, pretty intensely and to show to show the nature of of how some of that stuff was really held under wraps for a long time. So really fantastic movie. Okay, that is the show. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Film for Fans podcast. Do us a favor, rate, subscribe, tell your friends about it. Uh, visit filmforfans.com where we have reviews and articles and lots of other good content. And until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>